This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today Dynasty. I am your host, Keith Cummings, and boy, do we have a fun show for you today. I've got two of my favorite people in the CBS universe, Chris Towers and Jacob Gibbs, here with me. We've got a ton of breaking news, but I want to start off with this, guys, and Chris, I'll come to you first. It's almost point scoring time. It's almost yeah. like the, the, the great thing about Dynasty is that we get to go year round. And so we have things to do in February and March and April when some people have stopped paying as much attention. But now it's time to switch into a different kind of mode, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's like we're all theoretical. Everything we're talking about so far, and then this goes for both redraft and Dynasty, but I think more so for Dynasty because you're not just talking about is this guy going to have a good year? It's is this guy going to be more valuable relative to the market this time next year than he, and so there there's, there's so much that goes on. And then like, once the games actually start, then it's like, Oh yeah. Old players do matter and they can score points and that's valuable. So it's always fun to get that, like that reminder for your dynasty leagues that like, Oh yeah. Devonte Adams still does have value. You know, even if it's, you know, Less so when you're looking long-term. Uh, Jacob Gibbs, good to have you back here again. It's been too long. We're going to have both these guys on a lot during the regular season. Um, wh- how do you lean when it comes to – I want I'll, I'll talk to Chris more about contending in just a moment, but when it comes to being a team that is maybe going through a rebuild and you have those two or three veterans left that you couldn't unload in the offseason because nobody wants to pay up for fantasy points when nobody's scoring fantasy points. Yeah. So now you've got DeAndre Hopkins or Aaron Jones or whoever it might be. Are you just like, can I get rid of them before I, they get hurt? Or I'm waiting for the spike week and then I'm trying to sell? Yeah, I typically try to wait for the best window and also wait. Um, really, my answer is that I'm always contending. <laughs> um, but occasionally, yeah, you wait until teams are coming for those players. I think that there's a certain point where people realize that they're for sure contending this year and they feel some sort of sense of urgency to push themselves into the, the, you know, this, this team is so stacked. I've got to go catch them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and that can often coincide with, you know, a good selling point with somebody who had a hot start, um, like Jandir Hopkins or whoever it is. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's some waiting and some, some magic to like finding the exact right time. Um, but definitely in season, I think is the time to do it. Now, Chris, I, I should have asked you that question because while you are stubbornly saying I'm always contending, um, you do have a roster that's been wildly successful in our YOLO dynasty league. I mean, yeah. championship championship appearances in what two or three of the last five years. I think I've um, won two of the five years we've played and I made right. an appearance one other one. 
you also have like four running backs who are 28 or older and yep. three wide receivers who are 30 or older and mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins is your starting quarterback. Yep. Uh, yeah, everybody <laughs> listening to this podcast will like throw up if they see my team. <laughs> well, here's which the thing, is like, a good team. Everybody hates that team from February through August. Mm-hmm. You get to now and it's like, well, you know what? If if all those old guys stay healthy, but I, but I kind of want to talk about it from the other end because I feel like knowing you, you're not going to give up on this year. You're, you're no, going to try not. to push for one more year. It's eventually, I, I do believe, all going to turn into a huge tire fire. Yes. But <laughs> you're going you're gonna to try to push. So are you thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and see where my need is to add veterans? Or are you trying to make additions in these this last week or two leading up to the season? I've put out some trade offers over the last couple of weeks to, to try to fill. I've got... One of my flex spots has Greg Dorch in it. That's obviously not great. I've got KJ Osborne on the bench. So that's that's not a great situation to be in. So I've definitely put in a few offers for like, you know, I think I tried to trade for DeAndre Hopkins recently. It didn't go through. But yeah, no, I'm I'm very much a you don't know what the future holds kind of player. And that's not to like, I don't expect this league to dissolve within right. three years, but like that is one of many possible outcomes. And well, that, I will tell one. you, like I'm the commissioner and I have Garrett Wilson yeah. and Devontae Smith and Drake I mean, London. You, you and haven't set a lineup that's tried to win a game in like three years. Two, two. So, that's correct. Yeah, since three years ago. So, Let, but but yeah, my, my thing is always I, I think it's easy to underrate present value and overrate like especially three years from now value, you know, like if you go back and look at fantasy dynasty rankings from 2021, even like you're going to see some pretty hilariously high ranked players who are now viewed as completely worthless. And like, that's the thing is that so much of, you know, football careers are short in general and then, you know, contracts and, and, you know, guys get hurt and all these things come together to make it so that our ability to predict the future is right. much worse than I think we we generally believe it to be. And so I, I think there is value in always trying to win, you know, whether, you know, like like Jacob says, whether you can always actually be contending is, I think, a different question. But you will probably you you can do better than you think plugging short term holes the way most people play fan, uh, dynasty. A- absolutely agree. What we have coming up on the rest of the show, we're going to run through the news and notes pretty quick. I've got a list that I put together before the show of 12 guys that we haven't talked about enough this off season. And so we're going to run through those guys, get uh, Chris's opinion, Jacob's opinion, figure out what to do with them. And then we'll have some fun at the end of the show, some dynasty superlatives. And one of the things you referenced, Chris was over the last like looking at two years ago. Well, mm-hmm. you can look at one year ago, the top five dynasty running back ranks, and it's objectively hilarious. So I'm going to ask you guys <laughs> at the end of the show to tell me who will be the top five dynasty running backs in just four months from now. That's probably going to be hilarious as well. But first, we've got something to promote. We've been talking on the Fantasy Football Today podcasts all month long about the draftathon for St. Jude. We're raising money. It's gone fantastic. We have a spot to where you can join me, maybe Chris, maybe Jacob, who knows, one of our guests, 
and be on Fantasy Football Today Dynasty. You can go to our eBay store. You can find, we got a, Thomas has put it up here on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. I'll tweet it out a little bit later. You can find it on Twitter. We've got, what, three days left for that? There are some Four other days. awesome things up for bid. So, yeah, absolutely. Go go to the uh, Fantasy Football Today eBay store. Help us raise some money from St. Jude. Come on here. It uh, looks like Thomas has put the link in the chat as well. So go find it there and uh, tell me what I'm wrong about. Let's get to the news. We'll go uh, one of you at a time. And I know Chris agrees with me on Jacob Gibbs. So I will go or, or on Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacob Gibbs. <laughs> so I'm going to go to Gibbs here. Josh Jacobs has agreed to terms. One year up to $12 million deal. I joked on Twitter. It seems like he basically signed the same deal or a similar deal to Saquon. He just got an extra month of PTO. Um, didn't also have to got work. like an extra 1.8 million. It actually worked out great for him. I think he, <laughs> it's, I think it's a hundred thousand dollar roster bonus for every week that he's on the roster. So the, tr- trying to make sure that you know he doesn't end up on the pup like Jonathan Taylor currently is. I guess I feel like a 25 year old running back with the same coach that just gave him this usage in a landscape where we have so few feature backs. This guy should be a first round redraft pick, and this guy should be a top five or six dynasty back. Where are you at on on Josh Jacobs right now, Gibbs? Yeah, spoiler alert for the twenty twenty four question. Uh, he's a top five dynasty back. I don't really see how you could debate that from a talent perspective, from his ability to handle workload, and then the fact that there could be receiving upside depending on the situation. Like, um, I don't think it's going to get much worse than it is. Um, in Las Vegas, um, in terms of the offensive environment there, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much all lockstep with you on Jacobs. And yeah, I just before all of this happened, and we had you know some ambiguity about how much he was going to play. I had him right behind um, right behind Austin Eckler as my RB three for mm-hmm. 2023. Yep. So I, I think that makes sense. I think there's a case for him this year as a non-PPR RB1. And Jamie's made a great point over the last couple of years that Jacob's usage in the passing game has been inconsistent, but it's mostly really spiked whenever Waller or Hunter Infro has not been there. Well, Waller's not going to be there. And and that's the thing (laughs) with Josh Jacobs' usage in the passing game is he actually didn't play a lot of third downs last year. Right. He he, It's something like fewer than 20 routes on third downs or something. It's It's a really low number that you wouldn't think based on how many passes he caught last year. And and the, the distinction I always try to draw when it comes to pass catching and trying to project that is how many targets a, a running back gets on third down is often a product of coaching and how much they play, but also just if the quarterback scrambles or not, right? Like those are obvious passing situations. Those are obvious situations where the defense is coming after them. Justin Fields is not going to throw the ball on third down very often. He's just right. going to take off and run where a guy like Josh Jacobs tends to win is on early down passing situations. That's where he tends to get used. And that's a coordinator decision. And you look at Josh McDaniels as an offensive coordinator slash head coach, his offenses have been in the top five in PPR points for running backs, eight of the past 11 seasons. You typically didn't notice it in new England. Cause it was like four different guys. Josh Jacobs got 80% of the, the Raiders touches last year. So we noticed it there. Even right. if that regresses, it's just a great situation to be a clear lead running back. And I I don't think Zamir White is a, a threat to his playing time. Yeah, and that, that's the thing. Like there's there's we're at this breaking point in dynasty with running backs specifically right now, where 
almost, not entirely, but almost all the guys who have been used like Josh Jacobs are two to three years older than him. Mm -hmm. And almost all the guys who are younger than Josh Jacobs, not all, not all, but almost profile as part-time backs or they're coming off ACLs this year. And so I agree with Jacobs. Like he's a, he's a top five back for me right now. And I think he will be at the end of 2023. Chris, CJ Stroud has finally been named the starter. It's not, it wasn't a great preseason for Stroud or Bryce Young, I didn't feel like, but, Mm -hmm. and they're not someone anybody's counting on as a starter in a one QB league. They were drafted at the end of round one or early round two as a, as a, as a backup. But do you have hopes that these guys can become top 12 quarterbacks or they just, you're hoping they become like the Kirk Cousins, really solid QB two? Because neither Young nor Stroud projects as like a huge rusher, I think it, it it's unlikely that they take the leap to a top five quarterback. You know, you need to be kind of a Joe Burrow-esque passer to to make that leap, which is not out of the question. These are, you know, high-end prospects, but I think it's less likely that they're top five guys, much more likely that they're in the 12 to 15 range moving forward. And with Stroud in particular this season, I could see a pretty slow start because if you look at the the preseason usage yesterday or whenever, yeah, yesterday when they played their game, it was Robert Woods, Noah Brown, and Nico Collins as their top three wide receivers. I don't think Tank Dell played a, a snap with the first team offense. Nope. I don't think John Mechie did. I think Robert Woods and Noah Brown are probably fine NFL <laughs> receivers, but the things that they do at this point are not like going out and making plays and elevating their quarterback. There's no guarantee Tank Dell or John Mechie can be that. It's unlikely that they are given their third round draft capital, but they're certainly more exciting than Noah Brown and and Robert Woods. So I think what you're likely to see there is a relatively slow start for CJ Stroud, but that offense could come alive as those younger guys start to take on bigger roles. Jacob Pierre Strong traded to the Browns. We've got a couple of guys who I think, like probably both of them, Pierre Strong and Jerome Ford rostered in. 60 70% of dynasty leagues, but also it's that time of year where there's quite a bit of roster churn. Do you have a preference between these two as as far as who's going to be the number two to Nick Chubb? And do you have any interest in either of them? Uh, yeah, I roster both of them in, in deeper dynasty leagues. I've got a couple where I actually have both of them on the same roster, which could be a headache now. Um, I do slightly prefer Strong from a, a prospect profile standpoint. And the fact that the team went and traded for him, I think, is you know potentially encouraging and maybe discouraging uh, when it comes to Jerome Ford's health. So I would lean towards him, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I I mostly am like excited for Nick Chubb. I don't know if either of these guys are really taking him off the field much. Yeah, and Chubb's another one of those guys that like probably only should appeal to about sixty percent of the league. Um, yeah. Like you're you're always contending, but he's going to turn twenty eight this year. He feels a yeah. little bit younger than he is and that's probably for me just because i chose that arbitrary week one age as with the age that i'm reflecting and he turns 28 in november i believe or october um does have a big opportunity it's just how much is deshaun watson going to throw to his running back and does is nick chubb finally the guy who gets those targets and that was one thing last year deshaun watson actually threw to the running backs quite a bit i think it was like a 25 percent target share for the running backs last season which was shocking because that had never been the right. way Deshaun Watson. And so that's that's one of the questions I had this year was how much of that was Deshaun Watson in Houston? How much of that was Bill O'Brien in Houston? It's probably a combination of both, but I, I did think that was interesting. It, it was also partially just a product of how rusty he was and how uncomfortable he was playing the QB position last year. 
Gibbs, I want to come back to you on this one because the Cowboys had a, I don't know if they told us anything, but Malik Davis played in their third preseason game. Rico Dowdle did not. Tony Pollard did not. Deuce Vaughn did not. Are you viewing Dowdle as the clear handcuff or RB2? And do you think there's any chance that Deuce Vaughn is going to matter for fantasy purposes long-term? I think it's really interesting that Deuce didn't play. Um, I don't, I don't understand why he wouldn't have been out there. He played well in the preseason. So I guess they're just like, we've seen enough and we want to keep him healthy. But like that implies that there is some sort of role possibly. Um, they've said Dowdle is the guy, but nothing mm-hmm. in my analysis like shows anything exciting about him. Whereas Deuce, obviously the size um, would make him an outlier if he were to do anything at this size. But if you look at his, collegiate profile it's pretty exciting in in terms of his ability to draw targets um and convert them to yards at a really high rate so i i have some interest there yeah if something were to happen to pollard i think at the very least we would see him mix in and play some passing downs right yeah i could see him and that's the hard thing i think with the pairing with pollard is you probably want the bigger back paired with pollard to handle some of the between the 20s rushes on first and second down that's that's probably not what deuce vaughn is going to do although it is fun to watch him on short yardage just hide behind the offensive line and sneak between someone's legs uh chris Kadarius tony a week away from returning to practice last chance to sell last chance to buy or just ignore it uh i i think it's probably not actionable being healthy in the present is not necessarily has not necessarily been a predictor of whether Kadarius tony will be healthy in the future I I am more open to him as a sleeper for this season than I have been. And if his price in Dynasty has taken a fall the way it has in Redraft, I think it's fine. But I also think given the, the number of other young wide receivers on that roster, Sky Moore's apparent ascendance into the starting lineup, I'm just not sure it's going to happen for him. You know, like he's got a lot to prove. So I do think they're... Any sell window that I get with Kadarius Tony and Dynasty, I'm probably going to try to take just because he seems like a real long shot to figure it out. Uh, and this is one where I think the the imp- the assumed talent level props up his value a lot more than anything else, right? Like people just think this guy's a really good player, and we've seen flashes of it at the NFL level, but we we don't really have much certainty on the role. We don't really have much certainty on on long term outlook, and we don't have any kind of production profile to really base it on at the NFL level. So it's, it's really a bet on talent. And I tend to think guys whose profile is heavily weighted towards talent more than anything, more than, you know, concrete production. I'd probably want to sell. Well, he's definitely like, he has shown even in a small sample size, an ability to like his start stop his yeah. um, like his per route stuff is insane, and it's like, yes. you don't you don't have to discount that while also saying that it's not just injuries. He's had a really hard time when he's one hundred percent healthy being anything close to a full time player. For right, I don't want to speculate on what the reasons are for that, but there there it has been an issue. So I, I agree. Like it's a it's not quite even a Will Fuller thing because Will Fuller was able to play yeah. like half of the season a couple of times, but it is that like it's hard to argue against him as someone you would have on your bench for upside. It's hard to argue paying anything close to starter compensation for him because you have no reason to believe he's actually going to play a lot of football. Jacob, this one wasn't actually in the notes here, but we had a couple of reports that came out today about the Jonathan Taylor. Is it a saga yet? I feel like it's a saga. Ian Rapport saying it's uh, more likely now that he will be traded than he won't. 
Um, our Josina Anderson saying that there are two teams that have made substantial um, offers and have come to terms. It sounds like with Taylor. So are are you feeling like he might actually get traded? And this is what I was thinking this morning. Like, I don't want to say that Jonathan Taylor was faking being hurt, but let's just say hypothetically we get the throw the blanket, Kevin Nash, throw the blanket off, right. stand up on the cast, everything's fine <laughs> as soon as he gets traded. And he signs a three-year deal for $40 million, so he's just totally happy. Is he just immediately RB2 again? Like all that was just nonsense? Um, I think that would depend on what we see from Brees, what we see from Jameer Gibbs this year in terms of putting him RB2, but I think he's probably a lock for RB5. I think he would profile really similarly to Josh Jacobs, but he's younger and has the contract. It would obviously depend on where he lands, um, but there's some really good options on the table in terms of teams that are potentially linked to him. Um, if he's in Philly, obviously the line is going to be ridiculous, and he could put up 2,000 rushing yards. Okay. And if he goes... To somewhere else, like he might get passing down work that we haven't really seen in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. kind of similar to what we were referring to with Jacobs. So, yeah, I think there's multiple avenues to pretty exciting upside, and it's most likely going to be a lot better than where he's at right now. It, it has been a very fun path unless you had Jonathan Taylor on your dynasty roster. And then it's just been like, what are we doing? Never could actually sell. Maybe someone will decide to sell if the contract gets signed. Let's take a short break, and then we'll get to 12 guys we have not talked enough about. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. We are back, and this might be the most creative segment I've ever named. <laughs> Twelve guys we've not talked enough about. So what are and we talk? What's the what's the goal here? To talk You're about being these a little guys, oblique. To talk the about okay, these guys. I get it, okay, I get it. <laughs> and I've got two quarterbacks, two tight ends, and uh, four running backs, four wide receivers. Justin Herbert is my dynasty QB nine. Um, and I, these are all based on six point per pass touchdown leagues. I think he'd be higher than that for some people. Got off to a fantastic start to his career with a pair of 26 fantasy point per game seasons. Now he gets the alleged offensive coordinator upgrade, which I do think it's interesting. I remember when I started doing this job almost always when young quarterbacks had multiple offensive coordinator changes early in their career, it was viewed as an excuse for them to not develop. And now if it's the right guy, we get super excited about it. And so I, I want to know, like, where are you guys at on Herbert? Is he, can he get into that Mahomes, Allen, Hurts discussion? Is he just the, a fine, supercharged Kirk Cousins? Gibbs, where are you at? He's my dynasty QB4. There we I, go. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely think he can get there. Um, I don't think this is any alleged upgrade. I totally believe in Kellen Moore and think Lombardi was really suffocating that offense. 
Um, and I, I'm excited by the potential um, for this to be opened up. Um, I, I don't know if he pushes into Hertz Allen territory just because of the rushing limitations, but man, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Herbert's MVP this year and he's somebody that we look back as super, super undervalued. I've, I don't know if I've traded for anybody as much as him in Dynasty Leagues this offseason. Well, and that's it's a good time to do it because he's coming off of the worst year of his career and he's getting the, the, the coordinator change. So I, I get that. Chris, how do you view specifically, because I think when you talk QB4, now you're getting in the discussion of Burrow and Herbert versus mm-hmm. Fields and Jackson. Like that's kind of where, where it comes down to. It's the two running guys who I think have more upside, the two passing guys who have longer runways for sure, and are probably a little bit safer. I would take Burrow and Herbert over Fields fairly easily for this specific reason. I'm 100% certain Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, as long as they're healthy, are starting quarterbacks in 2024. I think there's a decent chance Justin Fields is not. I mean, maybe he goes somewhere. Maybe maybe Chicago has like he, he, Chicago has a bad year. They're picking in the top five again. I could absolutely see them going and getting another quarterback. They, I don't know how seriously they considered the idea of it this season, but they probably at least had some discussions when they got the number one pick and obviously decided not to. But I, I don't think Justin Fields is guaranteed of anything after this season. He's got to really make a leap as a passer, I think, to be guaranteed a starting job. So I'd take him over those guys. Jackson, Burrow, Herbert, They've all got the long-term guarantee. They've all got high-level performances in their recent past. Herbert and Jackson didn't do it last year, so if you want to give Burrow the edge there, I think that's fine. But I, I think that's your second tier, right? I, I, I would say yeah. Lawrence is behind them. Fields is behind them. Richardson is behind them. And this might not be fair, um, but I have lived through the last half of a decade of the Chargers being everyone's surprise Super Bowl pick sure, and watch their organization just – muffin fumble it away and i do think it maybe is understated the lack of security long-term in herbert's situation yeah i think he's going to be on the chargers am i certain they're going to put a competent team around him i'm not certain quentin johnston's good i'm not certain keenan allen's going to be good for another more than another Mm -hmm. year and mike williams is perpetually injured so i like I'm not a hundred percent sure that this is going to be a great Gibbs is just I think that's en- fair. really enjoying this. It's so funny. I wondered if there was some like viewership bias because like as a Chiefs fan, I am absolutely there with you. Like it has been almost comical to watch the Chargers <laughs> and always hear about the Chargers. They're always coming for us. But no, they're not. That's <laughs> just I don't Chris, know. Like I wasn't Chris is gonna lay into you for the well, S there. No, probably. no, this is one of those things I, I was talking about. My, my friend was in town. We'll go off topic for a second, mm-hmm. but my friend was in town and we were talking, we were watching the Notre Dame game. And, and Notre Dame's ranked like 13th in the country in college football. And I was like, we do this every year. <laughs> Notre, like, I don't know anything about like I have no idea any I like. I think I learned Hartman might be the quarterback for for Notre Dame. I think I learned a Notre Dame player's name for the first time. I just by history, Notre Dame's not going to be the thirteenth best team in the country. It's just I, I, I like knowing nothing else except right. the uniform that they're wearing. It's it's the same idea. No, I, I'm totally pre- falling prey to those same biases. Uh, Chris, I'm, I'm going to come back to you, uh, Kenny Pickett, my QB seventeen. It just like completely ignored for 75% of this off off season as someone who might get better in their second year as a quarterback, even though 
most quarterbacks get better in their second year. He's had some really good preseason games against some really bad competition. And now we're getting just a little bit more um, hope. Another guy, I think, who's probably always in that, like you're hoping he can be a really good QB too. But do you do you have any hope for Kenny Pickett as as maybe in that QB 15-ish range moving forward? I The Josh Allen experience has really forced me to be less certain about yeah. projecting quarterbacks forward. And so that is really the only reason why I'm not totally willing to write off Kenny Pickett because I didn't like him at all as a prospect. Old prospect who wasn't really any good until his fifth season in college. He was 24 years old as a rookie and I'm going to be honest, showed nothing. Like may- Maybe I'm overstating it, but I thought he was just dreadful. There have been, let's see, seven, eight quarterbacks over the past decade to have 11 or more games, 11 or more full games where they attempted at least 18 passes and had no games with multiple touchdowns. It's Trevor Lawrence, Geno Smith, Blake Bortles, Deshaun Kaiser, Carson Wentz, and Josh Rosen. Those were all his rookies and Kenny Pickett. There are a couple of success stories there, obviously Trevor Lawrence being one of them, but for the most part, I think uh, I am not a believer. And so it's yeah. really the only thing that's keeping me from writing him off entirely is just what if I'm wrong, right? Like that, that is just that I don't want to be certain about it, but he's not someone I would be looking to buy. No. Okay, Jacob, this, here's your hypothetical. You've got a, a dynasty roster. You've got a good QB one. You've got these three guys on your team as potential QB twos. You're going to sell one of them. You've got Kenny Pickett, you've got Sam Howell, you've got Jordan Love. Who are you selling? That's tough because I think they're all getting a little bit of hype right now. I was going to say Pickett for sure. Um, Howell Howell seems like the guy that could just be totally smoke. I'm super psyched for Washington and I want Sam Howell to be good. I think he should have been drafted higher, but there's just not very many quarterbacks that are drafted in the fifth round that are good. And so like... Mm -hmm. If he is totally smoke and you can sell him for more than that right now, then maybe you do it. Or maybe you wait and see if Washington comes out hot and then you sell him. Um, for me personally, it would be Pickett because I'm kind of in, in step with Chris there. I I worry that Pickett and Matt Canada are Lombardi and Herbert all over again. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I really don't like what they're doing offensively. And he's looked so good this preseason that I think you might, this might be the best time to sell him. I think selling just off of good preseason play yeah. is, is not a bad strategy at all. Let's move on to the running backs, and I'll stay here with you, Jacob. Damian Pierce, another guy that just has these two forces pulling me so hard in opposite <laughs> directions because I, I've got a pretty strong rule. You get a day three or UDFA running back who's really pretty good as a rookie, he's a hard sell because those guys fall apart fast. But I don't think Devin Singletary is near as good as Damian Pierce. No. And I think this team is going to run their offense through their running backs for as long as like two and a half quarters, at least until they're down by 17. And so Pierce is my dynasty RB 12. And I do think that like a guy who has a chance to be a borderline RB one this year and as young as him. Then again, I could have said the same thing about James Robinson. yeah i was psyched to see him at rb12 for you uh that's i have him at 10 and that feels way too high just because of the things you Mm -hmm. described with him from a profile standpoint but man i think damian pierce is the truth i think he was barely a day three pick and the only reason he was was because his college team didn't believe in him and his ability to handle the workload and so that pushed him down but if we would have seen him in college handle that workload i think he would have been picked much much higher there have only been 
during the time I have the data available, which is four or five years, there have only been four running backs who avoided 40% or more of their tackles. That's Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, Bijan Robinson, and Damian Pierce. So obviously we've got three super elite rushers, and then Pierce has added that name. That list comes in and immediately leads the NFL and avoided tackle rate as a rookie. He's the guy. He's so good. I, I think that this is a totally valid ranking for him, and I think after he goes nuts this year, we're going to forget about where he was drafted. Here's one thing I struggle with. <laughs> he got 77.5% of his team's RB touches through week 14. Through week 13, he injured his ankle in week 14. Mm-hmm. That was the fourth highest among all running backs behind only Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, and Saquon Barkley. Those guys, of course, were fourth, fifth, and sixth in fantasy yeah. points per game last season. Damian Pierce was 21st. But he was RB13 during the weeks that he was starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Houston's offense was really, 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 really bad last year. <laughs> yeah. And he's probably still going to be really bad this year, but I guess from a dynasty perspective, we expect it to be much better moving forward. I, I think so. New coaching, new offensive line, new quarterback, everything. Um, also, he had some bad luck on touchdowns. There's definitely some regression that should mm-hmm. be headed his way. Um, so I, I think, yeah, there's a lot of things working for him. Chris, I, we're going to switch gears. I could not be more opposite in terms of profile, I don't think, because J.K. Dobbins is next. And I thought coming into the NFL that J.K. Dobbins was like, I, I still think he might be Nick Chubb if things could mm-hmm. just go right and he could just stay healthy. But he's also on a team that even with a new offensive coordinator, like Lamar is probably going to take 30% of their running back carries. And Lamar is probably not going to throw to his running backs a whole lot. At Dobbins is a running back, unlike Jacobs, who did not get anything to make him feel a little better about his contract situation. He's just unhappy <laughs> and playing. I've got him at RB16 in Dynasty. I think talent-wise, if I was just basing running backs based on their talent and how many years they have left to play, he'd be a top-five running back. It's hard to do that in PPR with his injury history, with his usage in the passing game, and his unhappiness with his contract. Where are you at on Dobbins? I'm really struggling. Early in the offseason, I had him as a a breakout candidate for 2023. I've kind of wavered on it. I I think it, it mostly just comes down to how much of Todd Munkin's track record as a coach do we think will move forward, right? Like how much of the Ravens basically never gave their running backs more than 15 carries. It, it's something like 30% of their games since Lamar Jackson took over as quarterback. They've had a running back get more than 15 carries. How much of that was Harbaugh and a, an organizational philosophy of rotating these guys? Cause we know we're going to run the ball 40 times a game and how much of it was, uh, the former offensive coordinator whose name I'm blanking on. That's a key question because if Dobbins gets 250 carries, uh, he might rush for 1,400 yards. The how efficient he's been, what a big play guy he is, running next to Lamar Jackson, like all that stuff. He he's going like you said. Nick Chubb has run these outlier yards per carry marks his entire career. I think J.K. Dobbins can be that kind of guy. It's just there's a pretty big difference between 200 carries and 260 carries 260 carries isn't even that much and i think he can be an rb1 if he gets that it's just i don't know how to handicap that todd munkin's career as an offensive coordinator has i think all but one year has had a running back average at least 15 and a half carries per game so i think that's a reason to be optimistic um i i do think um greg roman Greg Roman, that's the Greg Roman that you're looking for. I do, I do think that like it's all he gets more blame for the passing game concept Mm -hmm. 
which was awful from everything that I understand about it, but probably not enough credit for the run game efficiency. Like mm-hmm. I do think Dobbins is great. I'm still not going to project him for six yards per carry oh, because yeah, I, I think I think part of that was was what what Roman was doing there. Uh, Gibbs, we'll we'll give you just the uh, the pick'em again here. Tony Pollard, who will be 26 at the start of the season, Najee Harris 25 at the start of the season, J.K. Dobbins 24 at the start of the season. Which of those three do you prefer in Dynasty? It's Tony Pollard pretty easily for me. I've got serious concerns that the other two are even going to be around for much longer. Honestly, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think that's that's the thing with Dobbins' contract situation and injury history. As talented as he is, if he has an injury this year, he yeah. might have to sign on as a backup somewhere next year. So that's, of course, that's might be the same thing with Pollard, who's never been a feature back and got hurt at the end of last year and doesn't have a contract pass this year either. So I guess all those guys kind of in that same range. But but J.K. Dobbins could very easily be Rashad Penny in a year. Yeah, yeah. he could be. He could be. Um, let's move on to Cam Akers. Uh, I have no idea. My RB23, Jacob, like I saw it last week or earlier this week, Kieran Williams has an excellent chance at being the Rams pass catching running back, which is a role which just flat out has not existed yeah. on the Rams for the last three seasons, but makes me feel even worse about Cam Akers because, yes, he's had these two six game stretches where he ran like a, a legit RB1. But they just do not throw to their running backs. And they I, I think people forget in the middle of last year, we had two weeks where Cam Akers wasn't even with the team because he couldn't get on the same page with everybody. Yeah. Um, the Kevin Williams stuff is not it that just hurts Akers. Um, and it's just bad for fantasy. I want no part of this backfield. I'm worried about the offense and the team falling apart, honestly, um, beyond this year. I've got Akers at RB31. Both these guys okay. we brought up, I, I like wish I had more to add, but it's just like I honestly am just very, very hesitant to. I, I think he could be somebody who's kind of out of the picture soon, too. It, it's sort of like Kadarius Tony, where <laughs> I, I've always been a little confused. Like, Cam Akers didn't really produce much in college. Like, he had 18 touchdowns and rushed for 1,100 yards, but generally speaking, like, he was super inefficient. Everyone blamed it on the bad offensive line at FSU it's kind of weird to play at a program that big and for everyone to be like, yeah, but the team around him sucked. Like I'm always skeptical about that. But, and, and so he comes in the NFL and everyone's like, well, he's an elite talent. And then he's in the NFL and it's like, he hasn't really played like an elite talent outside of like a few stretches, like you've said. And even that has been really like super volume heavy, not but very like, efficient. In fairness to Cam Akers, and we'll move through this second half of the guys just a little bit quicker, but in fairness to Cam Akers, like, it's like 2,000% of the snaps that Kadarius Tony has been Sure, right, right, right. It, it, that's why I said it's similar. <laughs> similar, but but that in that he's one a guy that... One of them's 12 plays, one of them's 12 games. Yeah, he, no, but what I mean is that Akers, the case for him is, well, he's just super talented. And I think people still believe that. And I would try to sell based on that because I'm just I'm kind of talent agnostic, especially at running back. Right. And in this situation, I just don't think the Rams are a great offense for running no. backs. They certainly haven't been really since the the Todd Gurley peak years. But like the last four or five seasons, this really hasn't been a great offense for running backs. OK, so speaking of talent agnostic and we'll start with you here, Jacob, Ty J Spears um, watching him this preseason, listening to the way they're talking about him. I don't know if people remember the stretch that Dontrell Hilliard had in this offense. 
for like three quarters of a year last year or two years ago. Um, but I think he's going to have a, an eight to 10 touch role when Derrick Henry's healthy. And I think if something happens to Derrick Henry, like he might actually matter. I'm getting more and more excited. Kind of feel like maybe I'm too low on Spears, especially long term, because we know Henry could be gone as soon as after this year. And Spears, while he may not ever be a 320 touch running back, might have the explosiveness to read and doesn't have to to matter for fantasy. Yeah, I think what we've seen this preseason is really exciting. Um, I've got him at RB40 for Dynasty, so I'm right where you're at. And that does feel low. I think that there is a decent chance that he plays just as much as somebody like Roshan Johnson or Tank Bigsby or some, some of these guys that are going clearly ahead of him um, and makes explosive plays. This is a team that needs playmakers um, and is going to lean on the ground game as much as they can. And I think he's going to be involved. So, yeah, I'm, I think he's somebody who a couple of weeks ago was definitely needed to be talked about more, but I think we've seen some big right. plays. And so people are coming around on a little bit more for sure. And I, and I, I, I would be pretty happy right now to turn a 2024 second into Ty J Spears. I so, think there's a chance that pays off before you ever get to that draft pick. A couple of things. We got to mention the, the elephant in his knee. Yeah. Which is the report that he doesn't have an ACL in one of his knee. Can't tear your uh, ACL if yeah, you don't have I mean, an ACL, I guess Chris. that's the R.A. Dickey idea, right? Uh, maybe he'll reimagine himself as a knuckleballer later on in his career, whatever the football equivalent of a knuckleballer would be. What a reference. <laughs> um, but so I, I did my I, I'm in a dynasty. League. We do a one round rookie draft, so it's not a big deal. You can't trade picks. It's just, hey, here's a free rookie. I took Kendra Miller over Ty J Spears, but I really agonized over it. And I'm wondering what you guys think about that because I, I kind of view Tajay Spears as like a potential huge league winner in 23, 2023 if anything happens for Derrick Henry. But also, I kind of view him in Dynasty as someone that like the second Derrick Henry gets added to the injury report, I might start putting out like trade offers if I have Tajay Spears just because his value may never be higher. I, I'm going to let you answer that one, Gibbs, because I was not a big Kendra Miller guy. Um, and so I, I, I think I have him lower than most of the industry. I actually am not a big Kendra Miller guy either. When he and Zach Evans were sharing the backfield, Evans was starting ahead of him and was more mm-hmm. efficient with his touches. Um, I love the draft capital and the landing spot and he's going to get opportunities early on. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's more juice with Spears, uh, potentially. So yeah, I think that's valid to, to bring them up in the same conversation. Well- we're going to move through these uh, the second half of this list just a little bit quicker. Chris, I'll come to you on C.D. Lamb. I, I wrote about this last week. I think a lot of people disagree with it, but I view C.D. Lamb at wide receiver three as kind of on an island. Like mm-hmm. nobody in Dynasty, not wide receiver, any position, is close to Jefferson or Chase in a one-quarterback league, and the quarterbacks are the only guys close in a super flex league. But and we're hopeful that Garrett Wilson or AJ Brown, like, but I think Lamb's age combined with his role as an alpha and a Mike McCarthy offense, say what you will about that offense, it's, he's getting 28, 29% target share this year. Mm-hmm. I think he's the clear wide receiver three right now. Yeah, I think that's the right like viewing him as being on an island makes sense. He, he I don't think he has you know, 1500 yard, 15 touchdown upside. Like I I do think he's a clear tier behind Jefferson and chase, but yeah, I can't necessarily make the case that like a Ross St. Brown has more upside than him long-term. So yeah, he's a hard, he's a weird player to value just because he doesn't have any other P 
peers. He doesn't have any comps, but I, I agree with that. Him being on an island, I think that makes sense. All right, we'll go to uh, wide receiver fifteen for me. JSN Jackson Smith and Jigba suffered the wrist injury. Jacobs, Jake Jacobs, um, got in, trapped in that weird situation. Got got downgraded because of where he landed with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, but just reminded everybody in training camp and in the preseason how special he is. Like if he hits his ceiling, Tyler Lockett, in my opinion, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf don't matter. I think he's a sneaky candidate for someone who at the second half of this year could jump into the top five of dynasty rankings. Where, mm-hmm. where are you at on JSN? Yeah, I haven't wide as you 14 for dynasty. And I think he could absolutely push into the top uh, five. I listened to stealing bananas with Ben Gretsch and Sean Siegel. Mm-hmm. And they predict who's going to be picked in the first round of fantasy leagues next year. And Sean, Sean had Jason, I think like sixth or ninth overall or something like that for next year redraft. And I think that's totally realistic. I mm-hmm. think your point that it might, if he's as good as we think he is, it might not matter that DK Metcalf and Lockett are there is totally valid. We saw it not matter with Garrett Wilson and Chris Alave. He came in and led the team in receiving by a wide margin. He's so good, man. You hate to miss time early in your you know career to start the season. That's not ideal, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good time to buy. If there's ever a time to buy, I think and, it's and, and the thing is, target competition is kind of overrated. Like the idea of target competition, it matters to a certain extent. It can cap your ceiling if you're playing with two other really good wide receivers. But like it's it's not impossible for Jackson Smith and Jigba to have a 23 percent target share this season while Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are still very good because this is an offense that we've seen concentrate their targets among just a handful of options. So mm-hmm. it. it I'm I'm much more likely to draft him in drafts now for redraft that he's injured, actually. Um, but it it wouldn't surprise me if he still had a thousand yards this year. Okay, so we had the request from Gibbs in the in the private chat here. He wanted Brandon Ayuk. So we're going we're going to you with Brandon Ayuk. I, another guy, like I chose these guys partially because we've not talked about them enough, and partially because they, they are really difficult for me to rank. I've got Ayuk at wide receiver 33. The problem that I have with him is I think if everybody's healthy, Devo's the clear wide receiver one and Kittle and McCaffrey take too much. So do you, is it are we hoping that Ayuk's in a different spot in the future? Because his talent seems to deserve a higher ranking than wide receiver 33 in Dynasty. Okay, so first on your point with Debo being the clear one, are you assuming that he wasn't healthy last year? Well, no. Why do you ask that? Because I don't think the he's end of the year. been the clear one. I just don't know. I, there's some narrative that he wasn't himself. He wasn't fully healthy last year um, and that he's back and he's going to play a lot better. Debo, that is, um, when they've both been on the field, Debo has just barely out-targeted him. Um, I yeah. think Ayuk is ascending and we've seen Debo, you know, going the opposite direction, frankly. Maybe he's going to come back and be much better this year, Debo Samuel, but Ayuk, we've seen get better year over year over year. And I, when talking with Matt Harmon um, of Reception Perception, he's just blown away by the improvements that he's made to his game. All the data that I found on Ayuk points towards that as well. His ability to beat man coverage, press coverage, has ascended to elite levels um, last year. And that's what so, we've heard in training camp, right. too, is that he's just yeah. shredding people. Cr- like crushing that. people. So that that's the question I have. Because Debo's been much more highly used against zone. Correct. Mm-hmm. And Ayuk's been just destroys Debo against man. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah. Most more teams play zone than man, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, bring it- 
Go when ahead. I bring up man coverage and splits versus man coverage, it's yes, there's only about 20% of the time that defenses are playing man coverage. So it's not necessarily that that is going to lead to more opportunities for him or anything like that, or to say that it's more important. It's just that players who dominate man coverage end up being good players, end up getting more targets. They're target earners. If you look back year over year over year, the players who have these successful splits versus man versus press coverage, Matt has done research on this as well. It's on receptionperception.com where the study has shown that there's been more signal with beating man and beating press coverage and then future fantasy points than there is right. with beating zone coverage. So That's you, why I bring you, it up as important. So just what's the ranking? How 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 far low am I on him? I have him at wide receiver 17. I think oh. he's an incredible talent, top 10 wide receiver dynasty type of talent. If he moves out of San Francisco, he's going to be that guy. And I think it's possible that he ends up being that guy in San Francisco as soon as like this year or next year. Chris, I, I want to take you to a guy that I know that Jacob Gibbs is not near as big of a fan of. It's Cortland Sutton. My uh, wide receiver 54 in the most recent rankings update, partially because he's not as young as people act like he is, yeah. partially because of Gibbs' tweets that he updates every six games about how Judy dominates him whenever the two of them are on the field. But now Judy may not be on the field. Do you think I'm too low on Sutton? And at the very least, should we be looking forward to what he can do when Judy's not on the field? Uh, yeah, so here, here's a, an updated version of that. I, I'm, Jacob has different versions of this, but I'll just go with the rudimentary one. Uh, Cortland Sutton has played nine games over the past two seasons with Jerry Judy not on the field. He's averaged 15.4 PPR points per game in those nine games. In the 23 with Judy, he's averaged 7.6. I mean, that is like that is right. one of those things where like, I, I try to harp on like wide receiver is not like running back. And if a guy gets hurt, you can't just say, well, this wide receiver is going to get more targets. That does not seem to be the case with Cortland Sutton. When Jerry Judy's on the field, he doesn't get targets. When Jerry Judy's off the field, he gets targets. I, I think from a dynasty perspective, if you've got Cortland Sutton on your team, you're kind of hoping Jerry Judy misses three games and you can sell him. I, I think yep. that's like, 100%. Jerry Judy misses the first three games of the season. That's your last sell window for a soon to be 28 year old Cortland Sutton. Like, I, I, I think that might be like the last three game window where you even feel confident you can start Cortland Sutton moving forward. Cause I, I really like Marvin Mims. And I think he's going to, like, I kind of love the, the Jerry Judy injury for Marvin Mims just to establish himself early on right. and be able to build momentum from there. Well, I think that's what Harmon tweeted out earlier today or yesterday is that like if it's Marvin Mims and Cortland Sutton, Marvin Mims might be the number one wide receiver on the yeah. Broncos in terms of earning targets. And I do think he has, you and I have talked about it, Chris, some Tyler Lockett vibes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know that Russell Wilson likes that guy. So let's go to the tight ends. I've got a couple of them. One guy I think I'm higher on than most. One guy I'm definitely lower on than most. But Dallas Goddard as my tight end five, 28 years old to start the uh, 2023 season. I I really, I think Jacob underestimated what he did last year. If you just ignore the fact that he only scored three touchdowns and had a touchdown rate like 60% of his career rate, he was on pace for like 980 yards without Devontae Smith or A.J. Brown missing time. Yeah, he's a solid, solid top five tight end. And if one of those guys goes down, I think he's tight end too. Yeah, there's definitely contingency upside if one of those guys were to get hurt. I think top two, yeah. Yeah. I think he's right there with Andrews if one of those guys gets hurt. That's interesting. Um, Dallas Goddard's tough, man. He He's kind of like the Ayuk of tight ends where it's like he I, – I, 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 
I just crunch all this data. And I'm like, I swear Dallas Goddard's like one of the best tight ends in the whole league. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. But it's like, oh, he has to contend with freaking Zach Ertz for the majority of his career. And then it's like a down year where they run all the time. And then they trade for AJ Brown. And it's like, is it ever going to happen? He's 28 years old now. Yeah, I I don't have him at tight end five. I had him at tight end seven. I have him behind Pat Fryermuth and Dalton Kincaid because um, he is he is older than people realize. And I think you can move Waller ahead of him too because I think the short-term outlook is significantly better. Um, but yeah, no, I, no shade to got it at all with that rainy. He's so good. Okay. So, so I do have to ask this because we're talking, we're on a dynasty show and I've been getting beat up for the last two months over my Darren Waller redraft ranking and Darren Waller's 31 and has missed 14 games over the last two years. And now is going to play with Daniel Jones. How can we rank him in dynasty ahead of Dallas Goddard's? I think we've seen him from a fantasy perspective be better than anything we've ever seen from Goddard. Goddard has had really good per route data at times, but like Waller has been the guy. He's been a true difference maker at tight end, and that's really valuable. And he could do that for two or three years, uh, potentially. He's way older than people realize. But just the upside of like having a, a difference making tight end, I think, is worth it where you could justify moving ahead of Goddard, where Goddard, barring injury to the top three receivers, What's the ceiling in any given season? Top? Well, that's what What if well, that's what I would say is last year I said he was on a 980 yard pace. Well, if he scores touchdowns at his career rate, then you're looking at 13 and a half fantasy points per game. Yeah, just last year. So uh, that's what I would say is like if those guys stay healthy and that's not accounting for if Jalen Hurts throws more this year. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm the anti Darren Waller guy, maybe whining about that by the time we get to December. But Chris, a, a guy I'm definitely lower on, even lower than Darren Waller, Evan Ingram, is my dynasty tight end 20. I think he's 29 years old now. He turns 29 May, in five days. Turns 29 in five days. Like I, I, I know Trevor Lawrence is going to throw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns apparently, but like the Calvin Ridley addition has just crushed Christian Kirk in ADP. It's crushed Zay Jones. Nobody wants to draft him. Mm-hmm. But we're still acting like Evan Ingram is going to be the same boring low end tight end one this year. And why should we be excited about that guy anyway if he's 29 years old? That's my thing. Is if at tight end it's true in redraft, it's true in dynasty, you either matter or you don't. And I just don't think Evan Ingram matters. Like he's, I'm ranking him as a low end top 12 tight end. And I just, I, I don't think I've even come close to hitting the button on him because I'd rather Luke Musgrave, Jake. Uh, Sam Laporta, uh, Dalton Kincaid. I'd rather have any of those guys because at right. least there's youth and unexplored potential with Evan Ingram. Where Evan Ingram, I think last year was is going to be the high point for him. I think he'll be a a 600 yards per game guy moving or 600 yards per that'd season. Be a great guy season. Moving. Yeah, that'd be really good. <laughs> uh, 600 yards per season guy moving forward. And I I think he's going to be a total afterthought in fantasy. I, I I'd be trying to move him in dynasty. I think what you hope for me, and and I'm hoping he scores a touchdown week one, and you can sell. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of tight ends in that range that it just I there's there's we talk about is tight end deep. The only reasons tight end is deep is because it only takes ten fantasy points per game right. to be a top twelve tight end, and there's twenty five guys that you could believe could do that. We're gonna take a short break, and we're gonna run through a really fun, really quick segment of dynasty superlatives right after this. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. We are back. I hope you guys are ready for your rapid fire. I will go Chris, Jacob, me, and it's okay if we say the same guy. So don't don't feel bad about that at all. The biggest riser in dynasty rankings at the end of the 2023 season will be. I'm going to go with Marvin Mims. I'm really talking myself into his fitness in Denver, his, his ascension. Even before the Jerry Judy injury, he was already running in three wide receiver sets on the outside. It was Judy slipping, slipping into the slot. I I think he's got a real opportunity to, to be a top 24 guy by next year. Love it. Nico Collins. He is the guy in Houston. And at least at the beginning of the year, it looks like he's going to be running routes next to Robert Woods and Noah Brown. Like those guys don't draw targets. I, I think that, Tank Dell is going to work his way into a role, but I think early on it's going to be all Nico. Mm-hmm. That's what we saw in the preseason. That's what we've seen when he's been healthy. Um, I think people just don't want him because he hasn't been healthy, and so his year-end numbers don't look good. But I think it's going to be a huge year. Uh, you know, I'll stick with the wide receiver theme. I'm going with Sky Moore. I've been kind of the high guy on him for the summer, and I understand why people don't want to bet on guys who let us down as rookie wide receivers. But, man, it's not going to take very many startable weeks at all from Sky Moore before people are looking at the second-year wide receiver tied to Patrick Mahomes and ranking him as a top 25 dynasty wide receiver. And and every time I talk about him, I've got him as a top 36 guy for 2023. I'm I'm all in at this point. I I haven't seen anybody rank him. that. I think I have him 33. I don't know if you guys have him that close, but I'm all in. And the big thing for me is, like, People are like, oh, the target share is going to be low. They're going to throw 660 passes. So, like, an 18% target share there is still 120 targets. Like, yep. that's that's the thing about this team is Juju was getting, like, a 19% target share last season. And he had, I think, three straight weeks at one point with double-digit targets. That's just – that team throws constantly. So, I, I'm not that worried about it. Let's go the opposite direction. The biggest faller in Dynasty rankings at the conclusion of the 2023 season will be – I kind of don't want to say the answer that I put now because you guys were so high on him earlier on, but I'll say Damian Pierce. Boo. <laughs> I know, I know. I just you know that's I, a math bet. That I guess yeah. the type of right, bet that Jim can do it, but he understands it. <laughs> history for that profile, like you said, third day running backs who pop as rookies tend to not have a lot of staining power. And I, I think last year there was a lot of volume on his that that he built his fantasy value on that. I think Devin Singletary is probably not as good as him. I think he's a lot better than Rex Burkhead. And so that's, that's where it comes down for me, where I just, if Devin Singletary is even getting 30% of the snap, the the RB touches and snaps, 
I think we could be looking at Damian Pierce as like an RB3. And how do you project that moving forward? Just not even going to acknowledge that. George I, Pickens. I appreciate that. <laughs> George Pickens is my guy. Uh, it's just about the usage. I really hope that I'm wrong because life is more fun if we just get to see George Pickens be awesome. But I don't know if he's going to be in Matt Canada's offense. 51% of his routes were go routes, corners, or posts as a rookie during the preseason, 53%. It's just yeah. players who have an average route depth above 10 yards, unless they're Chris Alave, don't get targeted. There's no one, basically, if you look back over the past 5, 10 years. Um, yeah, I've got a tough time with him. That's why I have such a hard time because I keep – like there's these camp reports – about his developing route tree and how he's doing mm-hmm. all of these new things. And then every single video I see of him is 30 yards downfield yeah. with a corner in his hip pocket. Like zero separation. I, I will Z- say, I, there's give him a freebie. A big part of my job with the FFT newsletter is like reading camp reports. And, and uh-huh. I, I know there are a lot of people who think like, that's just dumb. Just don't read camp reports. It's more signal than noise, <laughs> noise than signal. I will say when it comes to like beat writers saying, this guy looks really good. Watch out. That means nothing to me. Right. Like that is, I need to hear a coach say it. I need to see it with my own eyes, but a beat writer saying, Oh, this guy's going to get a lot of usage. That means absolutely nothing to me. So I'm going to take one more shot at Jacob Gibbs and I'm going to make sure that none of the rest of my answers do, <laughs> but I think the answer is Tony Pollard. I think because I thought about that one at the very least dynasty managers in 12 months are going to look at him and say, ooh, gross, he's 27. How did that happen already? Yeah. And we've never – I'm and I, I'm one of the guys who believes less in the he had a big workload, so now he's going to fall off, and more in the he's had a big workload, so he's proven that he can handle a big workload. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of think he has a pretty similar number of touches this year. Maybe it's a, a slight increase, but I also think that the efficiency probably decreases. I'm still drafting Tony Pollard at the one-two turn and redraft. I'm not anti-Tony Pollard this year. I just he doesn't have a contract for next year yet. Mm-hmm. He's going to be 27 when we get to next year. I, he's just not the type of guy. He he still has enough of that backup running back, so much better than Zeke Juice that he is a dynasty type of guy. But as, I think as soon as he's been a lead back and he's 27, he won't be anymore. Here's part of the problem is like the organization that's going to give him a big contract as a 27 year old free agent might not be a particularly good organization. You know, like well, does he land on next? Does he land on next year's equivalent of the of the Carolina Panthers? Hmm. So I, this this guy might be in Jacob's answer to the next question, but he will not be in Chris and I's. The top five dynasty running backs in January of 2024 will be. Uh, okay. Do you want me to go first? You've been going first with every question so far. <laughs> All right. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Jacob Gibbs, go first. Chris is it, last. I'm second. It could, it could be Tony Pollard. I would love to put him in here. Our answers there sucked because there's like three players who were so fun. Um, but I did not include Tony Pollard. I went Bijan, Brees, Jameer Gibbs, Josh Jacobs. And let's have some fun, Damian Pierce. And I, I will I will go be in no particular order. Bijan, Gibbs, Jacobs, Taylor, and Brees Hall. Same as Heath's. Bijan, Gibbs, Taylor, Hall, Jacobs. I'm glad I went with Damian Pierce because if I would have included Taylor, we would have had the same top five. 
That would have been the kiss of I death. Mean, they're so. like the only guys younger than 25 who have shown anything in the NFL, right? Except for Bijan, who hasn't shown anything, but yeah. Chris, are you ready to go first again? Sure. Blank will deliver a surprisingly strong stretch as a QB2 in Superflex. Baker Mayfield. Oh, oh, oh. I like, I'm taking shots at Gibbs. And now you're taking shots at me. Too, this is this is the what I talked about earlier. There's too much certainty uh, that this Buccaneers offense is going to be a disaster. I think it's still going to be a heavily pass first offense, probably not by design, maybe because I think they're going to be trailing a lot. And he's got two high level, arguably elite weapons to throw to. Yes, we've seen Baker Mayfield be very, very bad with high-level weapons before, but I just I, I think it's going to be surprising how good, how useful that passing game is. I'm higher than the consensus on Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, and I think they're going to drag Baker Mayfield along with him. Did it work out for those people? No? Maybe it'll work out for us. Jacob Gibbs, <laughs> who will be a surprisingly good QB2 for a stretch this year? I'm going with Mac Jones. He looked really sharp in their preseason action. I think the offense is going to be much, much better um, with Bill O'Brien this year. Um, yeah, I think I think we could get some fantasy relevancy there. I, I'm going to go, and I know, like, I think we are all higher on this guy probably than what ADP or trade charts show, but I'm saying Sam Hell because he's oh, yeah. still not by the consensus or by the community getting the love. I'm pretty excited about Eric Bieniemy's offense. I'm pretty excited about Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin. I think Sam Howell can just be okay and turn in a, a good stretch of, you know, QB 18-ish type play. Chris, we've got two left. Blank is the veteran contenders should trade for before it's too late. I mentioned him in as someone I tried to trade for on my old guy's roster, DeAndre Hopkins. I think he's going to have a very good year with Tennessee. He's still shown consistent ability to draw a ton of targets. I, I think he's going to be a big focal point for that offense. Does Michael Pittman count? Is he not old enough yet? Well, I, uh, man, could we have more disagreements on the show? Go ahead. Well, I'm going to give you Michael Pittman because I, I would like to be higher on him. So give me a reason to believe. My true veteran answer is Brandon Cooks. I think people have forgotten about him and he's going to be pretty dang good this okay. year. Um, Michael Pittman, I think we had the huge disappointment last year and it wouldn't surprise me if things start slow this year um but i'm pretty optimistic about indianapolis as a whole long term here especially as just as the year goes on the pace that they played with this preseason yeah and then that that was really exciting and then because i've been projecting them as if they're going to be one of the slowest lowest volume teams in the nfl but if they're not there could be pretty high play volume here i think they're gonna have to throw a decent amount and Pittman was clearly the guy alec pierce really struggled this preseason which is consistent with some of the things we've been hearing out of camp um, and I, I think Pittman has proven to be a target owner. We talked about Matt Harmon when he came right. on FFT. He he loves Michael Pittman. He can't. If there's one player other than Brandon Ayuk, if there's one player who he thinks there's a clear discrepancy between his actual competency and like where he's viewed by like fantasy people, it's Michael Pittman. Um, so yeah, I think he's somebody who sh- sh- probably should buy in on. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go maybe a little bit higher end, but definitely a lot more veteran. Um, Geno Smith. I, mm. I I I think like and this goes back to the JSN conversation, but they're letting him throw more than they let Russ throw. He was legitimately very good as a passer last year, and he has DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and JSN running routes. 
I he might just be a top eight quarterback again, and we all look silly. I think oh, yeah. in Dynasty, especially because of his age, he's viewed more as a low-end number two. Chris, the last one, and it's the opposite way. We were talking about at the beginning of the show, do you sell these guys before they get hurt, or before they fall off the cliff, or do you try to wait for a big game? Who is the veteran rebuilders should be trading away before it's too late? Uh, I think Jacob's going to be mad at this one. I'm going with Tony Pollard. I just I, I agree with he, what he said earlier about him being a big follower. I just if I'm not playing for anything this year, he's someone that I'd be trying to move just because I, I do think even if he has a really good year, we could be looking at him a lot differently now, this time next year. I, I want like that kind of goes to philosophical thing, though, because I think maybe that my answer and Jacob's answer might be lower end. Tony, like Derek Henry, sure. you're struggling to get a first round pick for right yeah. now. Tony Pollard, you might get multiple first round picks. Mm-hmm. So I do, I like that one from, but don't just go sell for a 2024 first. Right, right. I think that like you get an aim that high. Kickstart a, a right. I, I like it. Okay. Go ahead, Jacob. Yeah, I'll go right back at Chris here. My answer is DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> uh, I think he's he's got uh, like a lot of perceived value right now. Um, but Traylon Burks is back in practice today. And looks like he's going to be there for week one. And I think we kind of been drafting him under this assumption that Hopkins is going to be the clear one and Burks isn't going to be there. I think they like Traylon Burks. And I think that there were some really encouraging moments last year. And he did draw targets um, at times and did draw targets in college as well. So uh, he'll be the most target competition that Hopkins has had in a while. And I've heard a lot of player evaluators and NFL people that are a little bit down on Hopkins after what he showed last year. A lot of people point towards that as some sort of resurgence because his targets spiked, but I think that was mostly out of necessity. Um, and so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he has fallen off and if he doesn't do much this year and isn't going to ever be more valuable than he is right now. I, I, think, I think those are both good answers. I'm going to take a shot. I don't know who I'm taking a shot at, but somebody. Uh, Deshaun Watson. Um, I, Dan Schneier. I Pretty concerned. Adam Azer, I think he's uh, been a big Watson guy this summer, but pretty concerned that what we saw at the end of last year was not just a month and a half of shaking off the rust. That's a lot of rust shaking, by the way. And then we get, I don't like it when we get negative reports from camp, but especially when you get negative reports about the $50 million quarterback who's going to be there for the next three years. I like that guy knows that he's going to have to try to get an interview for the next three years. And so I, I think, and Amari Cooper has been fantastic and underrated, but he's getting up there in age. Elijah Moore has lots of upside, but remarkably inconsistent. Like I, I think, and it's the Browns. Like we talked about it with the Chargers. Like this, this whole <laughs> thing could just go sideways. And there are enough people right now who still view Watson as a number one quarterback who has top five upside that I, I just wonder like, what, what kind of draft pick can you get along with Geno Smith for Deshaun Watson. I love it. I'm changing my answer from Mac Jones to DTR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely love to see a quarterback that would be so change. much fun. But uh, it, that seems almost as unlikely to me as this idea of Kyler Murray sitting out the entire year and then getting traded with an $80 million cap number. Yeah. But we can dream a little bit, guys. This, this, this idea that Kyler Murray's going to sit out the season <laughs> is get Chris ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's 25. We'll- He's not going to help them draft his replacement. Get out of here. We will talk about that in the future, maybe in week eight if Kyler's still not playing. Jacob, Chris, this was fantastic. Thank you to everybody who was following along and in the chat. We will talk to you next week. 
a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.